The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This hour of the Costa Report is brought to you by Dole Food Company, the world's leading producer and distributor of fresh fruits and vegetables. Welcome to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and thank you for joining me for another two hours of Straight Talk Radio. I want to welcome members of our armed forces who are joining us over the internet, particularly those of you serving in the Middle East. We wish you a safe passage home. I also want to take a moment to welcome new listeners who are tuning in on affiliates in New York, Florida, Montana, Iowa, Missouri, and from coast to coast, including the great state of Hawaii. Thank you for making us part of your Newsweek. In just a moment, Emmy Award-winning journalist and host of CNN's Legal View, Miss Ashley Banfield, will be joining us to talk about whether the laws that are already on the books concerning capital punishment, jury misconduct, illegal immigration, pornography, and other crimes are sufficient so long as they're properly enforced or whether enforcement is not enough and we need new laws. Because, as you know... All the new laws in the world won't help if enforcement is the problem. So get ready. In the next hour, Banfield will help us navigate that bumpy road to justice. But before Ms. Banfield joins us, as is my custom each week, let me tell you a little about her background. Ashley Banfield was born in Winnipeg, Canada, and became a U.S. citizen in 2008. She received her undergraduate degree from Queen's University and her graduate degree from the University of British Columbia. Her first foray into television journalism came when she was hired at CJBN-TV in Ontario. From here, she moved to CKY-TV in Winnipeg and then CICT-TV as producer and anchor of the Evening News and also reported for ABC News on programs like Good Morning America, 2020 Nightline, and World News. Well, it didn't take long before Fox News affiliate KDF. W in Dallas tapped Banfield as their evening news anchor, and she earned her first Emmy recognition. But if it seems like Banfield was moving fast, well, it turns out she was just warming up. She never took her eye off the opportunity to cover global issues, and in 2000, she saw her chance and she took it. She made the move to MSNBC to work as a news correspondent and host. There was no way Banfield could have anticipated that that move would lead her to give a harrowing report from the streets of Manhattan amid the smoke and debris shortly after the World Trade Centers collapsed, or that within days she would chase the war on terror down in places like Afghanistan, Pakistan, Iraq, Israel, Jordan, Lebanon, Syria, and Saudi Arabia. By 2005, Banfield was ready to shift her focus to domestic issues again. She joined Court TV as co-host of Banfield and Ford Courtside and host of Open Court. It was here that her popularity skyrocketed. 
So when the announcement came that Banfield had been offered a, an opportunity to host for CNN, well, it seemed like the logical trajectory for a journalist who has been on the forefront of breaking news since the late 80s. Today, Ms. Banfield is the host of the award-winning program Legal View with Ashley Banfield, where she continues to bring audiences the story behind the story. It's my pleasure to welcome to the Costa Report Emmy Award-winning journalist Ms. Ashley Banfield. Thank you for joining us today, Ms. Banfield. Hi, Rebecca. What an incredibly nice introduction. Wow. I'm, I'm impressed with how impressed you seem. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you didn't know you did all those things. Well, you know, when you, when you get old like me and you're uh, heading towards your 28th year in television news, you start to forget a lot of stuff. <laughs> Well, it's it's well. Listen, it's great that we could remind you of some of your achievements because, uh, listen, I only we both know I just touched the surface of it, but I I could easily use up the whole program. So, uh, uh, you know, what I thought you know what I thought was most fascinating is you said I turned my attention to domestic issues and, and got the job at Court TV. I was nine months pregnant when I got the job <laughs> at Court TV, and on my first day, I uh, ended up um, going into false labor and, and delivered early. So. Literally, I I dived into domestic issues right away. <laughs> Both kinds of domestic issues, I guess yep. uh, that we yep. could say. You know, if I don't, if you don't mind, I'd like to start our conversation today with an article uh, you recently wrote about how a dose of tough love changed your life uh-huh. when you were a child. It, it was really a moving story about how, out of necessity. Your mother became the primary breadwinner in your household at a time when it was frowned upon for a mother with four children to go to work. And in the article, you talk about how her positive attitude toward adversity uh, really affected you. And I was wondering if you could share that story with our audience today. Oh, no, I'd be more than than thrilled. Um, CNN just recently uh, did a whole feature with a number of our anchors on the person who changed each of our lives. And they asked us to reflect, you know, back in the summertime, who is it and why? Um, Who was it that made such an impact that it changed the course of who you became, how you became that person, what your career choices were? Uh, It had everything to do with the people we became as opposed to the news people we became. And when I said immediately, and I, I don't need to think that one over, it's, it's my mother, um, the response was, no, 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 no. Everybody says, you know, your mother or your father was your biggest influence. We're looking for a real game changer, somebody who, you know, came out of left field and, and really made a difference. And I, I had to say, it's still her, <laughs> mm-hmm. because I have never had anyone make me focus in a different way on adversity than, than my mom. Uh, and it started in the late 60s when I was a little one and I had three older siblings, all under the age of, you know, six. And uh, off she had to go to the office because things were just not going well uh, for my family. There were bankruptcies. There was, uh, you know, a struggle with the disease of alcohol for my dad um, that it, it just gripped him, you know, so ferociously. Uh, so she really had to, out of necessity, um, you know, Hit, hit hit the bricks and and uh, and start working and so I saw from a very early age a powerful female figure and she would have no part of us complaining about anything that came into our path nothing was insurmountable and in a very kind and gentle and nurturing way she made each of us four children see that um, you know there is no excuse for quitting or 
suggesting life is unfair, just do it. And so that's sort of the mantra I've lived by through all of the adversities that television offers because it is not an easy road. No, not at all. In in fact, you talk about uh, expressions like soldier on and no excuses. And those are pretty familiar to me because I grew up in a military family where each Mm -hmm. of the kids were expected to do our part. And we had to find ways to overcome obstacles. Uh, but, But I notice a lot of parents today worry that that kind of tough love robs a child of their childhood by forcing them to maybe take on responsibility or face the harshness of life at too young of an age. What do you say to parents who just say, let kids be kids? Well, you know, there's a... There's a lot of science that, that goes into sort of how we have evolved to the people we are. And I am, not, I am not resistant to that science. I know that there's a lot more information now in the zeitgeist about spanking. Certain kids might react to spanking. Certain kids might actually struggle mightily with that kind of, of punishment. And there's more that's known now than, the, than was known in the 60s and 70s, and I respect that. Um, in the same sense, I think there's absolutely nothing wrong with being tough and loving at the same time. So as long as a child is aware that the toughness is coming out of a place of love and not a place of frustration, anger, or reaction, I think that's sort of where I, I fall into understanding, you know, what position, um, you know, steadfastness has in my household. But I am constantly weighing the pros and cons of nurture and and sort of a conservative, old-time, old-school value of being strict. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I'm a parent myself. I think every parent can relate to that. You vacillate between, am I being too easy or am I being too tough? Yeah, and and quite frankly, I remember um, I have a son who uh, who struggles with ADHD, severe ADHD, and that has been a very big challenge for me. And the the numerous counselors I've seen have helped me to understand what kind of discipline works best for a child like that. And it is not the same as every other child. Yeah, that's right. Well, and and my hat's off to you that you consulted with a a counselor to get that advice. Now, we have to take our first break, but stay right where you are. We'll be right back with more from Ashley Banfield. You're listening to The Costa Report. Do you love creating salads as much as you enjoy eating them? Hi, I'm Amy Tobin, cookbook author and culinary expert. Dole inspires fresh and wholesome dishes for any meal with their wide selection of salad blends and all-natural salad kits. From the mild and tender texture of sweet butter lettuce to the crunch of classic romaine sprinkled with colorful shredded carrots and red cabbage, Dole has over 30 salad blends to satisfy every palate. If you're looking for the ultimate in convenience, try Dole's unique salad kit combinations that include farm-fresh lettuces and vegetables, mouth-watering all-natural toppings, and specially made dressings. It's all you need to make a distinctively delicious salad. The possibilities are endless. Visit www.dolesalads.com for recipes and other ideas to feed your culinary imagination. I'm here today with Scott Caraccioli of Caraccioli Cellars, recent winners of the best sparkling wine in the U.S. in the Champagne and Sparkling Wine World Championship. Congratulations, Scott. Thank you, Rebecca. Thanks for having me. 
So what is it about your Brut Cuvée that beat all the other competitors around the world? We really focus on creating an expression of the Santa Lucia Highlands and doing it the right way. And when you control the process from the beginning to the end and you have talent like Michelle and top-tier grapes, they really shine through. This was a worldwide competition. It was definitely a humbling experience. We were in a room with producers that have been making wine for over 100, 200 years and was a huge honor to have Tom Stevenson give us the best U.S. Sparkling Wine Award. We fared really well overall. We had three wines win best of class, which was great. Visit the Caraccioli Tasting Room on Dolores Street in Carmel-by-the-Sea or find us online at caracciolicellars.com or reach us by phone, 831-622-7722. We are live at the AT&T Pebble Beach National Pro-Am with an old friend, Jessica Keener, the Community Relations Manager of Lexus of Stevens Creek. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Well, it's great to have you for our annual visit. You guys are always giving back to the community. You've taken it to an art form. And literally an art form, because you've got a display of art on, in the service area, right? Yes, right now we have an exhibit going on, and, you know, we allow nonprofits um, to exhibit their artwork throughout oh, the great. year, and that's just one of the many things that we have going on right now. Well, certainly we haven't had time to talk about all the things, but one <laughs> of the things you've got going through the month of February, mm-hmm. why don't you tell me about that? Yes, we have partnered once again with the Pajama Program, and we are collecting new PJs and books for children in need here in um, Santa Clara County. And uh, we also have a big sorting party going on at the end of the month, and we invite the public to come out, help us sort through the PJs, donate, and uh, it's just a great time, and it's all for a good cause. Well, bless you for what you do. Lexus of Stevens Creek, live from the AT&T Pebble Beach National Pro-Am with Jessica. I'm Mike Jacoby for KSCO. Are things getting a little messy around the office? At Coast Paper and Supply, we'll meet all your janitorial needs. Mops, dusters, disinfectants, we got them. Can't get rid of that smell in the break room? Try our deodorizer. Carpet stains? We have a cure for that, too. While you're at it, pick up the essentials. Garbage cans and liners, sponges and brooms. Is your company going green? Coast Paper and Supply is offering earth-friendly cleaning and food service alternatives. Our ever-evolving stock includes compostable bowls, plates, cups, and cutlery. Not to mention eco-friendly cleaners and biodegradable trash can liners, all at the lowest possible price. So come visit Coast Paper and Supply at 151 Josephine Street or look us up at coastpapersupplyinc.com. You can also call us at 831-423-3350. That's 831-423-3350. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is Emmy Award-winning journalist and host of Legal View, Miss Ashley Banfield. And before the break, we were talking about the impact your mother had on you by doing something that we call leading by example. Now, there's an idea that seems to have fallen out of fashion. It's almost it's almost as though uh, uh, do as I say, not as I do has become the model. It, yeah, it has for a lot of people, I think. Um, you know, I think I got really lucky in a strange way. I don't think anybody back in 1967 would have said, wow, your family's gone bankrupt. It's the best thing that could happen to you personally and professionally in life. But, you know, it started the ball rolling for my mother as a graduate of a home economics program who thought there's nothing I can do with this degree that's going to earn money for my four children and my family. 
Um, but out she went. She she started in real estate as a saleswoman, and she was laughed at by the men in the in the office. Now, I'll tell you, Rebecca, what's so incredible is you look back on those days. There were not professional wardrobes available to women in stores. No. So even to get dressed for the office was a bit of a challenge. And of course, nobody had any sensible income like that. Um, so she really had to be very crafty at how she um, was able to get dressed every day, look a little different, and you know wear the high-heeled shoes that women really had to wear. And so I, I watched all of this happen, and I thought this was normalcy, you know. Um, and it took a long time for me to realize how special our circumstances were. And you know, clearly, my mom was able to blast past all these morons uh, in the sales room. She ended up, you know, starting her own company uh, with two partners, and they blitzed right to the top of the ranks in the city where I'm from. Well, I, I, I think even yeah, in those days, the real estate, w- the people that made the decisions on the homes were the women. So uh, what yeah, better re- what, what, what better real estate person could you have than a female that could talk to another female? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What was amazing is that nobody acknowledged that women were making a lot of those choices uh, and were the best people to market to. But, um, but, you know, they were big hurdles for her to overcome and, and huge hurdles for me to watch her overcome and with such grace and poise and success. That was the modeling that was great for me. And it made her a very um, organized, strict parent. Um, Ask a busy person to get something done and it'll get done. You know, ask someone who's not busy and they'll probably take days. So I I just, I got a really good, uh, a really really good start. And you um, carried those lessons with you into uh, a a male-dominated, very, very difficult occupation uh, not only did you cover a lot of headline cases for Court TV, um, even you know you even take on really tough and challenging uh, subjects. You recently interviewed the lawyer for Stephen Avery, the subject mm. of the Netflix documentary of this corruption in a small town in Wisconsin, which led to uh, Avery's conviction. Um, and what was interesting about the interview that you did was. Uh, it seemed to reinforce everything we thought about uh, jury intimidation, misconduct. Uh, um, aren't, you know, being so familiar with what goes on in these courtrooms, aren't there some laws that would protect an accused from uh, jury misconduct? I mean, are, are, you know, we're not, sure. we're not covering these sure things every are. day like you are. <laughs> Why? No, what has happened there, in that situation? There are plenty of laws on the books to protect uh, the accused in a courtroom. It's whether anybody believes them or whether the accused ever finds out. That's the bigger issue. You know, one thing that I go mad about on a regular basis, I tear my hair out, is that the presumption of innocence in American jurisprudence just seems to be a bumper sticker. It doesn't seem to be the first default on how we feel when we listen to TV news or we hear stories or we look in a courtroom and we see someone sitting at the defense table. The first thing that comes to our mind is not that that accused is innocent until those prosecutors do their job, right? The first thing that comes to mind is we raise our pitchforks and we start screaming about how they need to be hanged for what they've done. And that is what I am so apoplectic about on a regular basis. I feel like Americans have sort of somehow turned their their pristine, I like to call it pristine, it ain't perfect, but it's pretty damn good if you look worldwide, our system of justice. We turned it into an entertainment factory. And we forget that the most critical part of what we're doing is the proving part. 
the justice part. The prosecutors should not be getting notches on their belts for winning cases. They should not be touting winning records. They should be touting justice. And sadly, um, you do see a lot of pratfalls, like perhaps the case of Stephen Avery, where justice isn't done. Not even perhaps. Case number one, without question, justice wasn't done. Case number two, that's still up for a lot of debate, I think, for a lot of people. But it is, it is a reminder to everyone, if they didn't already know it, that bad things can happen in courtrooms on both defense and prosecutor's side. I thought it was interesting that Avery's attorney said the court is extremely reluctant to interfere with what happens in a jury room, even if they know it's misconduct. So misconduct, they will. Uh, it's just what constitutes misconduct. And there's a, there's a competing wisdom here. If you are a juror, you are promised um, a free conversation with your fellow jurors. You have to have that. You have to be able to speak freely among those who have been presented with the evidence. And you have to feel as though there is no pressure from anyone or anything on the outside that will hinder your ability to confer and to deliver, but there was in, in the, the Avery process. case. There was intimidation well, in in this. Well, in this in the system and how we set the system up, intimidation has to be physical, right? The fact that someone's a good debater is not considered an intimidation that's actionable. For instance, in a jury room, if you're a juror and someone across the way says, "If you don't come around to our side, I am going to come over there and I'm going to clean your clock." Mm-hmm. that's now bordering on the physical, and yes, you can take that to the judge, and there will be a remedy for it. But if the guy just debates you and debates you and debates you, that's called deliberating. And that's why we have 12 and not 2, so that it doesn't just come down to two people and they're debating. But you had jurors saying they were fearful. So some jurors will say they're fearful in a physical way, and they may not report it to the judge. And other jurors will say they're fearful because someone was so overbearing. How and about again, those that, that say line. they were fearful because there would be police repercussion? That is where it becomes an issue. However, it needs to be raised at the time. This is mm-hmm. the most critical thing. You're given so much information as a juror. You are made aware of these rights. You're given instructions till you're blue in the face. You have to be a responsible juror. And if there is a concern, which has been outlined prior to you entering that jury room, you must bring it up to the judge. It is not fair after the fact. Once you are now exposed to all sorts of media stories, evidence that was never, uh, never presentable in a case, right? It's not fair to then change your mind and come back and say, well, now I've got some other issues. Otherwise, it would be a circus out there. I mean, we have to trust our system and we have to trust the jurors that take part in the system. And I have covered a case in which a juror said, I felt threatened, physically yes. threatened, and they got rid of that juror. And so they, they, said, they said, but they said it during deliberations. During deliberations. Yeah. And you have that instruction. If mm-hmm. you feel there is anything going on in there that borderlines, uh, you know, physical threat, you bring it to the judge and they will, action, they will take action immediately. Very good. Now, we have to take another short break. When we return, we're going to talk about another controversial subject that is near and dear to Banfield's heart, capital punishment. So stay tuned. You're listening to the Costa Report.
Every day our world gets more complicated. Not only is new information coming at us faster than we can manage, new regulations, technology, and the effects of globalization have made it much more difficult to succeed. That's why I wrote The Watchman's Rattle, a book that, for the first time, explains how complexity makes it hard to separate facts from fiction and eventually causes us to make important decisions based on unproven beliefs. And not just us, our leaders also fall prey to this phenomena. But here's the good news. Once you know the symptoms to watch for, you can safeguard against them. So please, go to RebeccaCosta.com. That's RebeccaCosta.com and order your copy of The Watchman's Rattle. It only takes a few minutes and the shipping is free. That's RebeccaCosta.com. Do it now. You'll be glad you did. Do you know a local resident or organization who has done something extraordinary in Monterey, San Benito, or Santa Cruz counties? Now is your chance to honor them. The American Red Cross of the Central Coast is seeking nominations of unsung heroes to be honored at our upcoming 2016 Central Coast Heroes Breakfast. Local heroes need not be famous, but simply a local person who went above and beyond when the need arose. It might be a lifeguard who saved a drowning child, an ordinary citizen who performed CPR when a stranger collapsed, or someone who simply provided outstanding service to our community in one of the specified categories. The nomination deadline is February 26, 2016. Visit www.redcross.org backslash ccheroes2016. That's www.redcross.org backslash ccheroes2016 for more information and nominate your hero today. Hello, my name is Jackie Tucker. I am owner of a home care agency called Care from the Heart in Home Service. We are honored to provide a variety of caregiving services from homemade chicken soup to hands-on care and to continue to encourage you and support you to be independent. We specialize in dementia care and end of life. Our team of care providers are supervised by our case managers who are also registered nurses. Our telephone number is area code 831 Four seven six eight three one six. My name is Larry Haddis. Jackie and her crew took care of my mom for about two years. It was good because somebody was always there. She couldn't be left alone and uh, would have had to go to a much more restrictive environment if she hadn't been there because, you know, my mom would fall. And the uh, caregivers were all uniformly fantastic, very caring people and made her last uh, hours on earth uh, very satisfying. Best as the situation could possibly be. People should be as lucky as I was to have Jackie and her crew care for their loved ones. Care from the Heart is here to serve you with dignity and respect. Our telephone number is area code 831-476-8316. Again, the number is 831-476-8316. Our doors are opened 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Please call Care from the Heart. It's always open house at the Mike Young Real Estate Hour, and you are always invited to walk right in and join the discussion. Hello, I am Mike Young, and I love talking real estate with all the experts and with you. So get a jump on the Real Estate Weekend every Friday, 7 p.m. on the Mike Young Real Estate Hour, right here on Listen and Be Heard Radio KSCO. The Mike Young Real Estate Hour is brought to you by Thunderbird Real Estate, Real People Selling Real Estate, by Rick Williams at American Pacific Mortgage, and by Steve Manville at Farmers Insurance.
Friday at 7. See you then. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and if you're just joining us, my guest today is Emmy Award-winning journalist and host of CNN's Legal View, Ashley Banfield. And we were talking about some of the laws which address jury misconduct and the need for jurors to inform the judge during the trial and not afterwards when little can be done. So let's talk about all these laws that we've got. In 2012... 40,000 new state laws went into effect, which spanned everything from driving golf carts to minimum wage, worker verification, new voting laws. That's 40,000 in one year, and that doesn't even count federal laws. Um, Now, I am aware that ignorance is not a defense for breaking the law, but the odds that sooner or later I'm going to be doing something wrong, maybe I'm doing something wrong even sitting here right now. Uh, (laughs) it, It feels like it's stacked against me. Am I just being paranoid? No, um, but I think there are, are great arguments for and against for those who are frustrated that there are too many laws and not enough laws being enforced. Uh, take, for example, sexting, okay? It wasn't, I don't know, eight, nine years ago, we'd not even heard of the term. And there, these poor little teenagers were out there sending little naked pictures of themselves to their, uh, their boyfriend forever at 15 years old, <laughs> only to have in one month that boyfriend then send that naked picture of now ex-girlfriend to all of his friends in the high school, after which it then became viral and went out onto the Internet for perpetuity. Then comes the law. The only law that's on the books about this at that time is child pornography. Mm-hmm. And that 15-year-old boyfriend is now a child predator, and he is labeled as such for life, a dangerous offender. He must register wherever he lives. He can't live near a school. You see where I'm going? The I laws do. had not caught up with us. We are doing things, learning things, finding things, becoming things at a rapid rate. And oftentimes, we need to catch up with those. So in that instance, that's sort of an example of where you do need new laws. Mm-hmm. You do need to figure out how to deal with the 15 year old who didn't figure out how awful his behavior was, but certainly he wasn't a child. Okay, that's a great example. Yeah, that is a great example where technology has moved forward and our current laws don't address that technology. Certainly that young boy or those young kids shouldn't be Mm -hmm. labeled sexual predators for the rest of their life. But let's just take this new law in Wyoming. It it says that if you build a building that's $100,000 or more, you are required by law to allocate 1% of that toward hanging art inside the building. That's a law in Wyoming. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm scr- I know, you, see, Wyoming. see, even you were quiet when I mentioned that law. And, and by the way, I had great fun doing the research, you know, with my staff on this <laughs> because they were coming up with laws like every five minutes that we were dumbfounded by. Yeah, no, and, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, the reason I go silent is because I'm kicking away at the benefit of the doubt. I'm trying to figure out, could there be something here I'm missing that clearly was in great debate in the halls, the annals of the, of the legislators in, in Wyoming. I hate making these sort of knee-jerk reactions to, um, to things that I'm not involved in because oftentimes I become the fool if I jump into an argument and I don't know much about it. And I feel like that's sort of the, that's sort of the issue with a lot of um, how we react 
to news on television these days. We get a bumper sticker, we get an expression, we get a quote, and then everybody goes, again, with the pitchfork. So I'm always trying to do, you know, what my craft is, and that's benefit of the doubt. I I appreciate that. By the way, just on the positive side, they did pass some very good laws, such as a drunk may not make a contract or agreement with another drunk. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that was on their books. You may not fish using wow. a firearm. A firearm wow. may not be used <laughs> as a fishing well, now, tool. There were some interesting laws there in Wyoming. That, so you have to be real clear about that one. You're not allowed to actually perform the, the, the sport of fishing using the firearm, or you're not yes. allowed to pack heat while you're... Because I kind of think if you're out there in the wilderness and there's grizzlies around, you might want to have a firearm while you're fishing, but that's just me. They, they, Canada, they so. won't... They won't lo- uh, the, the, fee, the fine, I believe, was $700 if you shoot a fish. If you shoot a fish. Well, I agree with that. I think that's not fair sport. I mean, sport is sport, and let's keep it gentlemanly. But, you know, there's the old thing, when you, when you come across laws like the old rule of thumb, most people don't know what the old rule of thumb was based on. But it was based, uh, you know, hundreds of years ago on beating your wife. Um, you, you, you could not beat your wife with a switch if the switch circumference was bigger than your thumb. So there are certain laws that, you know, without question, we outgrow, we evolve. Um, I'm sure there were at times there were laws about Christians and, and uh, lions. So I, I'm, a, I'm always willing to, to listen thoroughly to arguments for and against why new laws and old laws either need to go or need to be instituted. But I like to think that the people who are actually there and in the thick of it and know all of the arguments are actually the best to, to govern themselves when it comes what, to that now, kind of thing. I what, don't know what the art okay. issue is in Wyoming, but maybe yeah. there's something there. What you say is logical, it's reasonable, I would expect nothing else of you. However, oh, very 40, I'm very unreasonable after 5 o'clock. So 40,000 new state laws in one year, though. Uh, you know, just the number alone is so daunting. Like I said, probably while I'm having this conversation with you, I'm I'm breaking 10 of them. I'm pretty sure of it. <laughs> uh, uh, so, And we've been talking about some fun things, but I want to get to a, a much more serious issue. And there's no greater need for reform than when it comes to the death penalty, a subject I know that you're very passionate about. So I was mm-hmm. wondering if you could tell us a little bit about if there was something specific that drew your attention to capital punishment. I think our our system, uh, for starters, and how good we've become at detecting the, you know, molecular smoking gun, you know, um, we're really good with crime fighting tools, which would make you think we are getting better and better at being more accurate when we make the ultimate decision and take someone's life, right? The truth of the matter is, is that we might be really good with the science, but we're really bad at just the regular stuff, which is handling the science. And so I have witnessed time and time again sort of catastrophic failures of perfect material, meaning the material's perfect and people aren't. And until people, and we're the only people operating those courtrooms out there, that, that as far as I can tell, there's no Martians that have come in and perfected the court system. It's just us people, us imperfect people. Until we can become perfect, I really have an issue with pulling the lever, you know. Um, I often say if I were the victim um, of that, that rapist and that, that murderer who took my mother's life, I would feel like I should be the one to pull the lever, right? Mm-hmm. But the lever 
have to be pulled evenly if we're going to make that choice for the entire country. It can't be selective. And we try case by case to be selective and, and only reserve it for the worst of the worst, and we fail miserably. And that's my problem. It's not so much about the philosophy behind whether it's right or wrong. I still go back and forth about that. It's about the imperfection of us. Mm-hmm. And I just can't, you can't get a mulligan when you screw up. And we screw up so often. Our labs are overloaded. You just need to go to Massachusetts to see one of the worst cases of lab malfunctioning. Mm-hmm. And if people's lives are on the line for that, I don't want to be the one to say it's okay. Well, uh, to your point, 130 inmates have been released from death row since 1973 because of new forensic technologies. Um, and in 2003 alone, 10 wrongful death row convictions were overturned. And these are pretty sobering numbers. I mean, even those if there was just the ones one. They did. Yeah. Oh, my God, Rebecca, those are just the cases that, say, the Innocence Project could take. That's they right. are limited in resources. They say no to most of the cases that come avalanching into their offices. These are only the ones that got a good, thick combing and, and were, were relitigated. There are. I would venture to say thousands upon thousands of other cases out there where people were too poor or too uh, ill-educated to be able to help in their own defense in the way they should have, didn't get the right kind of defense. And I'm not saying public defenders aren't fantastic. They are some of the best litigators in the country, but they're overwhelmed. And when someone relies entirely on that and they get shafted and they don't know their options, well, they shouldn't be dying because of it. Well, that's well said. We're going to pick this topic up on the other side of the break. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages from our sponsors. You're listening to the Costa Report. Big data is being generated by everything around us all the time. Every digital process and social media exchange produce it. Systems, sensors, and mobile devices transmitted. Big data is arriving from multiple sources with ever-increasing velocity, volume, and variety. It's becoming the world's newest resource for competitive advantage, allowing decision-making to move from the elite few to the empowered many. The escalating demand for insights requires a fundamentally new approach to architecture, tools, and practices. To extract meaningful value from big data, You need optimal processing power, analytics capabilities, and skills. Find out how IBM Big Data and Analytics can transform your business. Visit www.ibm.com slash big data today. That's www.ibm.com slash big data. Now, if you've been listening to the Costa Report, you know that I'm a big fan of wines by Caraccioli Cellars. And today I'm here with Scott Caraccioli, who's one of the brains behind the most memorable wines money can buy. So I have a question for you. How did your family get into the wine business? Um, You know, in 2006, my father, his brother and uncle were really playing with the idea of planting a vineyard. And planting a vineyard turned into making a bottle, turned into making sparkling wine when um, Michelle came into the picture. So it was really kind of an organic situation, us being in agriculture in the Salinas Valley. And then the extension of that went to grapes. And here we are today. To find out more about Caraccioli Wines, visit us at www.caracciolicellars.com 
or stop by our tasting room in downtown Carmel, California. That's Caraccioli Cellars, C-A-R-A-C-C-I-O-L-I, Cellars, where one bottle is never enough. Hi, Registered Pharmacist Ben Fuchs here. I've been studying healthy bodies for 35 years, and what I've got to tell you may shock and surprise you, but if you listen up, it may change your life. The symptoms of PCOS, which stands for polycystic ovarian syndrome, are caused by the many cysts which produce lots of both male and female hormones. Excessive production of female hormones are associated with bad periods, sometimes no periods, bloating, weight gain, obesity, moodiness, sluggishness, while the excessive male hormones she produces can cause oily skin, acne, sometimes hair on the chest and back, thinning hair on the head. The hormone-secreting cysts are themselves associated with insulin and blood sugar, and most people PCOS patients have oftentimes undiagnosed pre-diabetic signs. That means PCOS needs to be first treated as a sugar processing problem. And secondly, PCOS patients who usually have underlying digestive problems are going to want to look here too. PCOS patients should focus especially on fat malabsorption, gallbladder and liver health issues, as well as the health of the intestine. Vitamin C is helpful for all hormone health issues. And you want to make sure you're getting fatty vitamins too, especially vitamins E and A. Lecithin granules with fatty meals can support fat metabolism and it wouldn't be a bad idea to finish off all meals with a little apple cider vinegar which can stimulate the secretion of fat digestive enzymes from the pancreas. Probiotics can be helpful as can supplemental bile salts and digestive enzymes. Think zinc important for balancing hormones, and selenium, which has a stabilizing effect on estrogen. Some women can get relief by using progesterone cream. Pharmacist Ben here urging you to go to kscohealth.com to order Beyond Tangy Tangerine, the Healthy Start Pack, and other nutritional supplements that I personally use and recommend. You can purchase these premium quality products at wholesale prices online at kscohealth.com. That's kscohealth.com. I'm the pharmacist that believes that staying healthy and strong is not only about medicine, it's about giving your body the raw materials it needs to do its work. Go to kscohealth.com. Make sure you check out the cool videos too at kscohealth.com. That's kscohealth.com. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and if you're just joining us, my guest today is Ashley Banfield. Uh, We were talking about capital punishment. The latest statistics that we have uh, for 2014 is that the U.S. ranks number five in executions amongst all countries, right after China, Iran, Saudi Arabia, and Iraq. Uh, But what I found most interesting is that we legally execute more of our citizens than places like North Korea, Pakistan, Mm -hmm. and Afghanistan. What should we make of that? Well, I, for one, never like hearing the members of that club that we're in. Um, And I think it is sobering when people discover that we do belong to a dubious club um, of those in the world who sanction, um, you know, the death penalty. You know, look, I come from a country that did away with it at the same time the Americans did. It was reinstituted here. It was never reinstituted in Canada. I I weigh it back and forth. I watch Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton go back and forth on it as well. And, you know, my position comes strictly from an evidentiary point of view. We stink at dealing with evidence. We get stuff wrong. It's not about how bad the guy is that we're prosecuting. It's about how good we are at doing it. And we're not. We make too many errors. And when you deal, again, I can't repeat enough, you don't get a mulligan. You can't 
make that mistake and rectify it. You can't. It also is extraordinarily expensive. Most people think it's cheaper just to kill people. Mm -hmm. It is about 10 times on average the cost to kill someone. It takes 20 years on average to kill someone because our constitution guarantees you have your right to fair justice. And you know what? It means an automatic appeal whether you want it or not. Even Timothy McVeigh, who wanted to march himself towards the death chamber, it took three years. Yep. Yep. Well, the, I've only been able to come up with three reasons anybody's in favor of the death penalty, and that's either uh, they believe in an eye for an eye justice. That means, you know, you're going to do to them what they did. Uh, second, that they there's this mythology that it costs less money to execute than to house a prisoner, which, as you point out, is not true. And third, right. they they uh, have uh, the third mythology is that the death penalty is a deterrent to crime, uh, which there is absolutely zero scientific evidence that it ever does anything to deter crime. Yeah, most people who are that sick and twisted um, don't stop to think, what if? What if I get caught? There is very little um, other than those who try desperately not to get caught and are premeditated in the way they go about their murdering. Um, very few of them actually think, but it is a death penalty state, so maybe I better hold off on this. There's so much passion involved and so much psychosis involved. I think you're spot on, Rebecca. I don't think it's a deterrent. And as far as the eye for an eye, I feel deeply for those I see on that other side of the courtroom all the time. They are destroyed. A murder destroys a lot more than one person. It is a it's a it's a domino effect of lifetime destruction. What do you think about the What do you think about the families of the victims getting to weigh in on that? Well, that that's why we've changed so much in our, our court processes over the last several decades. And now victims' impact statements are critical in the mm-hmm. process. Victims' impact statements are part, make no mistake, of of that process. And jurors get to hear that. Yeah. But you have to. But they're very limited. They they can't they can't weigh in on what they'd like to see happen to that uh, to that convicted. But they can say what they've lost. But here's the thing: if it's an eye for an eye, if that's where we're going with this. Mm-hmm. Well, then, then the Saudis have it right. We should be marching thieves into the main square on Fridays and cutting off their right hand. We don't think of eye to an eye in everything else that we're doing. We don't. We don't think of it because it's too abhorrent. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to death penalty, all of a sudden that argument goes out the window. And I get it. There's a strong passion, and I feel terribly for those who have been victimized. And I myself have never walked in those shoes. But I also don't think it's right to take the risk and take an innocent life based on other people feeling retribution. Mm-hmm. Now, switching gears for just a moment, we've got a tight presidential race on both sides of the aisle. Is there any particular candidate that you think has got the issue of the death penalty right? Well, everybody has you know a different feeling about it. Hillary Clinton has been talking about how uh, she feels that there is more need for accuracy and a rehaul, uh, an overhaul, but she doesn't, um, she doesn't say, she doesn't go as far as what Bernie Sanders says, and that is that it, it, it needs to be done away with. Um, and so, it, 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 listen, again, I don't weigh in on this. Yeah. From I, I'm just asking, I'm asking because it, it doesn't seem to come up in the debates at all. You know, if it it's, is talked, yeah. if it is talked about, it's only brought up by a reporter, someone who's, who has to uh, yeah. intentionally Bernie bring Sanders, it up. Bernie Sanders, I think, you know, he's yeah. the only one who said it's just, it's just got to go. Um, but he's the only one not, that's volunteered it. 
Exactly. And, yeah. and my issue is, is uh, aside from the morality, you can state your morality. That's great. But back it up with the reality of what our system's offering right now. And if you want to go with the moral argument for it, well, then you better bloody well follow it up with an, an, a total overhaul of how we're adjudicating because we're not doing a good job at it. Right. And I, you know what? You're coming at this from a different perspective. I don't hear you making a moral argument. I find you to be very empathetic to the victims uh, and, yeah. and understanding that they want, that they may perceive the death penalty as justice. But I think what you're coming at it from is much more of an objective and technical standpoint. There's too much uh, room for error. You've seen the errors that have been made. And when a per- person's life is at stake, you can't. You have to be 1,000% certain of the evidence and the process. Right. And, and the issue here, Rebecca, is that we've gotten too satisfied with the perfection of DNA yep. and forensic uh, advances. But the problem is dum-dums are handling it and yeah. screwing it up. And that's my problem. Not that the science isn't great. The science is great. The people handling the science are the ones making horrifying, deadly mistakes. Mm-hmm. Well, now, uh, we're almost out of time before we run out of time. Uh, do you have a website where people can go to get more information on your program and your views? So, you know, what's so funny. Um, when I had uh, my, my children starting 10 years ago, I had a website under construction, and I remember freezing it because I was so overwhelmed with working <laughs> and commuting and raising two small children. <laughs> so it's the most outdated thing in the whole wide world. But, um, you know, a lot of my material, especially the story we were talking about earlier, uh, that the essay that I wrote on my, uh, on my mother at the influence in the video um, of her, her tough love approach that changed my life, that's on CNN.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, most of the material that I do is, is via CNN.com uh, uh, because I just work all the time. They have a very <laughs> nice website for you. Like. Yes, I've been on the website. It's a very nice uh, website. They have a lot of information there about your background, your views, and, and also your program. Uh, so uh, for folks who want to get additional information, go to CNN.com uh, and just type in Ashley Banfield and you'll get And I've it. also got CNN Ashley for Twitter and Facebook and lots of materials on there as well. Okay, great. Well, I'm afraid that's all the time that we've got today. But before we say goodbye, I'd like to take a moment to thank you for making time in your busy schedule to speak with us today and for your good work on uh, the death penalty and capital punishment. Thank you, Miss Banfield. Right back at you. Thanks for being so thoughtful and thorough in your work. Well, terrific. And come back again. Come back and see us soon. It's a given. I would love it. (laughs) If your station is leaving us after the first hour and you have a question or a comment to make about our interview with Ashley Banfield, you can email me at RebeccaCosta.com or drop me a note on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. How do you feel about the death penalty? If it isn't a deterrent, uh, and we've released more than 130 prisoners on death row because of uh, improper forensic technologies, is this a practice we should continue? I'd love to hear your views because, as you could probably tell, I have a little bit of ambivalence myself on this topic. And if you happen to miss the full interview with Banfield, remember you can download previous episodes of the Costa Report from our website, Apple iTunes, Podbean, and our YouTube channel. And if you haven't yet visited our website, well, do that straight away because you're going to want to read our weekly blog, which expands on the conversations that we have each week with our guests. Uh, Last week, we featured a blog about the upside of collaborating with China in space. And this week, our blog will feature our conversation with Ashley Banfield 
concerning judicial reform. So uh, be sure to go to RebeccaCosta.com and click on the word blog right there at the top of the homepage so you don't miss the backstory and the research that goes into every guest interview. You're not going to want to miss those blogs. I, I enjoy reading them afterwards myself. Uh, My guest next week will be here to talk about Iran's new economic freedom. Political writer and television host Steve Kornacki will be joining us to take a look at the impact relaxing trade and other restrictions with Iran will have down the road. Don't miss the always insightful Steve Kornacki next week right here on the only news program that puts policy ahead of politics. Now stay tuned for a second hour of Straight Talk Radio. You're listening to the Costa Report. If you're wondering what to do with all that data you're creating, do I have an offer for you? Tableau is drag-and-drop software that people of any skill level can use to analyze and turn data into something actionable. That's right. I said actionable. And isn't that what all that data is for? With Tableau, you can connect to any data in virtually any format and visualize it on the fly. Databases, spreadsheets, even big data sources are instantly combined into usable charts, graphs, reports, and dashboards. People can analyze data and -and drag-and-drop at 10 times the speed of a traditional business intelligence system. But the most important impressive thing about Tableau is that anyone can use it. And just to prove the point, you can get a free 14-day trial from Tableau just by mentioning you heard this ad. But do it now, because this offer won't last. For your free 14-day trial, visit Tableau at T-A-B-L-E-A-U dot com slash Costa. That's Tableau dot com slash Costa. Tableau Software. What's your data trying to tell you? The greatest showcase on earth is on the move, and you're invited to explore new avenues of opportunity with the local businesses of the Aptos and the Capitola Chambers of Commerce, Wednesday, February 24th at the Seascape Golf Club in Aptos. Admission is just $5 and includes hands-on networking, appetizers from half a dozen local restaurants, extraordinary raffle prizes, safety demos, and much, much more. Additional parking at Real Del Mar School with shuttles provided by Shuttlesmith Adventures and Aegeus of Aptos. Wait, there's even more. KSCO's own Flight 1080 will be broadcasting live, which means you can grab a mic and have your say. It's the greatest showcase on earth, and it's moved to the Seascape Golf Club in Aptos. So join us Wednesday, February 24th from 4 to 7 p.m. at the Seascape Golf Club in Aptos. For more information, visit aptoschamber.com. That's aptoschamber.com. Serving Northern California for over 65 years, this is KSCO Santa Cruz. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.